As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. DC's curfew extended to 11 p.m. Eastern. The latest on all of the protests from around the country uh, and here inside of the nation's capital. We're going to check in with Congressman Denver Riggleman, Republican of Virginia as well. Lots to get through. Maryland Governor Hogan is announcing that he's going to lift the coronavirus restrictions for non-essential businesses as the state is entering phase two of the recovery plan. The mayor's office here in D.C. set to announce some guidelines by the end of the week. And the Democratic Baltimore mayoral race still too close to call. We've got a lot to get through. All of that plus Defense Secretary Esper. Did you see that? Secretary Esper and Donald Trump. Uh, Lots to get through. We're going to check in with the Bloomberg White House team. Matt Gorman gives us a state of the play on how Republicans are, are playing this. Uh, and David Tafiori, our good friend of the program, former Obama campaign foreign policy advisor. All right, let's get right to it. This moment in America, to this, this evening, we are awaiting some new developments and we're going to bring you them as it happens. First and foremost, prosecutors have charged three more officers in George Floyd's death. Okay, so you'll remember there were three officers who were uh, standing uh, nearby, Derek Chauvin, uh, who was the officer who is now charged uh, with killing uh, George Floyd. So they have expanded the case against George Floyd, and three more of the officers, they've been charged with aiding and abetting a murder, and they've also upgraded the charges against the officer who pressed the knee on Floyd's neck to second-degree murder. Uh, This, according to the charges that were filed in Minneapolis earlier today, uh, and I've been reviewing uh, just now the Associated Press report. So you've got the three other officers charged and the charges of the the officer upgraded to second-degree. Meanwhile, this hour, we are expecting remarks from former President Barack Obama, uh, and there are developments uh, between Defense Secretary Esper, who met with President Trump at the White House today, and Secretary Esper came out this afternoon and said that he disagreed uh, with the president on a host of different issues, 
That's where we stand now as we await an 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern curfew in the nation's capital and other curfews of, uh, across the country based upon which city uh, folks are in. Jordan Fabian's on the line. He is a Bloomberg News White House reporter. What is the expectation now that three additional officers have been charged? Is the expectation now that the conversation will move forward or is there still going to be unrest tonight in America? Well, Kevin, I think the big question for a lot of these demonstrators is what is the government going to do to address the underlying systemic issues in law enforcement that led to the killing of George Floyd? And so far, you know, this administration really hasn't done a lot to address them. So uh, until that happens, I do think you're going to see demonstrators out on the streets. Um, you're already seeing hundreds of people uh, gather outside President Trump's hotel here in Washington on Pennsylvania Avenue, just steps in the White House. Uh, they cordoned off the area around the White House. So that, that demonstration has now moved to the president's hotel, and it doesn't uh, show any signs here of letting up. All right, so that's what's happening on that front. There were these other major developments between Secretary Esper and President Trump. For now, Secretary Esper has a job, right? That's what the White House press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, said at her briefing this afternoon. Not quite the ringing endorsement of the defense secretary. And, and we're hearing, Kevin, that uh, staffers in the White House and the president himself were uh, very upset about what he said earlier today, which was that he did not favor uh, using the Insurrection Act to call up active duty troops to help quell these protests. And that he uh, tried to distance himself, too, from that photo op the president staged on Monday at historic St. John's Church across the street from the White House. So do we know what happened when Secretary Esper? I mean, the, the, the drama of this, folks, I, I, I mean, I know everyone's got so much on their plate. but And I, I'm one to stay out of the drama and the theater. But the drama of this, mo th these two hours in America... I was talking with one source as it was happening in the intelligence world, and even this source was it was hard pressed to find the words. The defense secretary gets out in front of a podium and gives public remarks saying that he disagrees with what happened in regards to the president's walk to St. John's. And then Secretary Esper goes to the White House. This is like mid-morning, and they have this, this private meeting. And then the White House press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, she says that he still has a job. Do we know what was discussed in that meeting? Jordan Fabian, White, Bloomberg White House reporter. Uh, you were told, Kevin, that that meeting was actually called to discuss the uh, situation with some other U.S. troops, uh, the ones that are stationed still in Afghanistan. Uh, but it, it seems evident uh, that this situation regarding the military and the protests uh, did come up. There's now reporting uh, from our colleagues at the Associated Press that uh, there's been a reversal of the decision to send active duty troops away from the nation's capital. They're going to stay for now. Um, that was different from what was reported uh, earlier today. So uh, the, the, the matter seems to have come up. And, uh, you know, the president uh, and, and the secretary of defense clearly having to iron out some issues here in their relationship. What's the, the mood from the sources that you talk to on inside of the president's inner circle for how he's doing well i i think kevin the uh you know if we're going to start off with the uh, st john's move i you know I, I think the sources that i i've spoken to thought that was the success and they thought that it projected an image of strength for the, for the president 
uh, showing that he's trying to take control of the streets of the, of the nation. But the problem is that it caused this huge backlash, not only among you know, his typical Democratic critics, but also some Republicans who have supported him, religious leaders. You know, these are people he really needs in his camp to win reelection in the fall. And so, you know, there is still that trepidation out there. Uh, there's still worry among people in the president's circles that all of this is just becoming a, an anchor on, on his uh, on his reelection chances. And we're seeing some polls out this week, Kevin, uh, showing the president in poor shape, uh, trailing Joe Biden by double digits. So uh, there certainly is some concern. It is remarkable. And I would just note, I mean, the reality outside of uh, our windows uh, and the reality of what's on the streets in the protests is very different from the reality of what's going on in rural America, who are watching what's happening in the cities play out uh, most likely on cable news. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm not a predictor. Jordan's not a predictor. But it's important to note that these are incredibly polarizing times. And, uh, you know, people are having different interpretations of everything. If you hear that buzz, that's the uh, alert going out for tonight's curfew curfew at 11 p.m. Eastern in Washington, D.C. Jordan, great to have you on. Hey, keep up the great work with the reporting. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Uh, coming up on the program, we check in with Congressman Denver Riggleman. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, hold on, Matt Shirley's trying to tell me something in the video chat, our, our, our lead booker. Now he's saying no. Okay. Um, all right, well, let me know. <laughs> Listen, working from home, it really is, uh, you know, lots going on, lots going on. Joining us on the line is someone who I'm very excited to welcome back because I want to know, there's all these polls, right? And, and everyone's trying to make do of what this means, this moment of unrest means for down ballot races, for congressional races, for the presidential race. And someone who has his finger on the pulse of all of this is the former NRCC communications director and the vice president at Targeted Victory, Matt Gorman. Matt, how are you? Kevin, what's going on? I'm doing well. You know, for these times, you know, it's good to hear those words. Matt, okay, so, uh, but seriously, uh, you know, how, as you're a Republican strategist, you've got your pulse on the on the finger of all this. You're talking to all of the pollsters, the fundraisers. fundraisers. How are people responding in your orbit to how the president, the, how the president has conducted himself in the past couple of days over what's been going on? You know, I think it's fluid uh, and it's hard to tell because I think, you know, the president in a lot of ways wants to make this very much like 1968. He tweeted out the silent majority. He wants he was talking even in his acceptance speech in 2016 in Cleveland about being the law and order president. But Nixon in 68 was not the incumbent. Uh, his party was not the incumbent party. Uh, in the White House. And so I think it's very different if you are in the White House, um, you know, 
in controlling this. I think that's why he's been trying to be proactive. And he, he really didn't like those round of stories from early in the weekend about him hiding in the bunker. And I think that's probably why we saw what we did uh, over at the St. John's Church on the, the other day. Matt, are you based in D.C.? Are you, I mean, are you coming at this from D.C.? I am. So, I, I mean, just for me, and I, and I say this because you're someone whose job has taken you all over the country. Um, I've had the privilege to travel as a reporter. And what I keep thinking about when I saw the helicopters last night, or not last, two nights ago, and and just, you know, walking around the city and observing what's been going on is our reality and what we are seeing is so incredibly different than what the folks who are watching this through the lens of cable news, no matter which channel, are outside of cities are experiencing. Does, do you know what I'm trying to get at? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I heard the helicopters, you know, all night. Was it Monday night? But I, I think, look, I think that's a broader issue. And it's not just about uh, the social unrest. Look at the pandemic. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I have friends and colleagues in Florida and Arizona and other places. And that opened up, you know, fairly quickly or, yep. or, or quicker than us. And it is drastically different than my, you know, you have people in D.C., but not just D.C., New York, yes. Boston, Philadelphia, dramatically different. Than so, Matt, that's, Matt that's, I gotta, that, that's, that's where I want to take the conversation because I think that's the it's, – it's so hard. And I was talking about this with my colleagues, Tom Keene, Jonathan Farrow, and Lisa Abramowitz on Bloomberg Surveillance earlier today. I <clears> – excuse me. I, I, I think that as a reporter is something that we have to inject into – these conversations is that it's one thing to look at it from a political bias perspective in terms of the voters, which are incredibly polarized right now, but everyone's experience with the pandemic and everyone's experience with what's been going on in the past several days is different, dependent upon where you live in this country. And so Matt, I, it, does that mean that maybe we should catch our breath before these polls really start meaning something? You know, of course. And I think, you know, obviously, I think the outcry, whether it was Twitter or inside the Beltway, take the St. John's Church photo op, for example. You know, I, I think that was obviously, you know, fairly negative in the Beltway and on Twitter. That doesn't mean it was that same way. I'm not saying either way, but it, it, they, there might be a different opinion outside. And I think you're absolutely right. I also think I am these next two weeks, I am convinced is going to tell us a lot about where we are in the lockdown and the pandemic. With all these protests, with all these mass gatherings, if we see a massive spike, you know, do some states go back into lockdown? Do, you know, folks that were in the first or close to the second phase of reopening bump that down again? Or if not, do people be like, what the heck were we doing for the last three months? I, I am so intrigued to see what happens. Well, a lot of people are. And, and the jobs numbers that are going to come out, uh, unemployment claims uh, that are going to come out, at economic indicators at the second half of this week as well. And, and, you know, I just think that bears repeating. I mean, the economic calamity that has been experienced in this country that has touched every corner uh, of this country and, and minority groups we know from reports like um, from our friends at McKinsey and whatnot uh, are, are the most at risk. Of, 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 of some of this. So it's just, uh, it's a really an incredibly divisive time. You mentioned the divide within the Republican Party. Some Republicans have come out and spoken uh, and, and been uh, frustrated at the president's tone. What can you tell us about that, Matt Gorman, uh, Republican strategist? Look, I think it divides into two camps. You have folks like Ben Sass, uh, Tim Scott, and others who, you know, don't necessarily need to do it. They're in, fa they're in fairly safe seats. 
but sometimes, you know, that they will be willing to do that. Obviously, Tim Scott is the only African-American Republican senator uh, out there. I think he has a very important voice. But you also have folks like Susan Collins, who is in, you know, her toughest race of her career right now. And look, she is in a unique position because, you know, um, you know, she has always that independent brand up there, and it's really important because in states like Colorado and Maine and Arizona, Trump is going to go there, whether you like it or not, because those will be important presidential states for him. So it's always that tough balance for her, yeah. um, you know, almost any, more than any other senator. Matt, I got another question for you. Is the Senate in play now to, to, to flipping uh, because of the last week? Uh, you know, I, I always thought it was in play, and I think if you talk to Republicans, you know, smart ones, that, you know, who are involved in these races, they would always laugh when earlier, it, it, you know, and whether it was last year or earlier this year, people said, oh, you know, safe, it's a safe majority. That's like, that, that's not the case. You know, look, Democrats have been really successful fundraising. I, I mean, I know that firsthand when I was at the NRCC in 2018, fundraising matters. They have you know, they have decent candidates in some of these seats, Mark Kelly, John Hickenlooper, others, you know. But that being said, you know, we're ours aren't too shabby either, not just Collins, but Martin McSally, and Cory Gardner and others. But, you know, the NRSC, uh, which, is, which is the Senate Campaign Committee, is already on the air with ads. It's really important to break through um, and get your message out there and start defining these Democrats now. It is vital. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, stay safe, my friend, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, sir. Mac Gorman, Republican strategist uh, at Targeted Victory. Coming up next, we check in with Congressman Denver Riggleman. You don't want to miss that. Republican from Virginia. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Maryland Governor Hogan to lift coronavirus restrictions as the state enters into phase two. Phase two, the uh, Republican governor of Maryland gave an update just uh, this afternoon. Uh, and it says that, you know, things are moving along quite nicely in Maryland and they're going to go to phase two. So more openings. But Baltimore mayoral race still too close to call after the polls closed. The city's board of election released mail in votes received through last week. So based on the roughly 76,000 votes that were counted as of 2 a.m. on Wednesday, former mayor Sheila Dixon 
was leading the race, followed by City Council President Brandon Scott and former U.S. Treasury Department Undersecretary for Domestic Finance, Mary Miller. Lots, lots going on in Maryland politics. Let's take it back down to Virginia with a good friend of the program, Congressman Denver Riggleman, Republican from Virginia. Congressman, how are you? How's the family? How are you holding up? I'm holding up, Kevin. I hope you're holding up okay. Family's good and uh, just trying to get through. All right, so let me get your take. How how would you size up the way the president has been doing in the past uh, three to five days? I don't think that badly based on what we saw. And, and I want to break it down this way. And so I want to give you a military perspective, Kevin. I think we got three different types of protesters out there. And I think we have the protesters who are legitimately protesting the heinous act that happened to George Floyd. I think we have those that are weaponizing politics like Antifa. Right, and using this right as almost a domestic terrorism stance or definition. And the third group we have out there are just simple criminals and looters. And I think it makes it very difficult to separate all aspects of this. So in order to have some kind of law and order and to stop individuals, you know, from destroying um, other people's businesses, innocents, or you can even call non-combatants, I think we have to take a pretty strong stance. And if the mayors aren't going to do it, the governors need to do it. If the governors aren't going to do it, and the president needs to do it. And, and somebody from the military and look at what's happened to innocents or the eight police officers that were shot the night before last, I think something has to be done. But you have seen a bit of a peaceful transition, Kevin, over the last 24 hours. Okay, Denver Riegelman's on the line. He's a Republican from Virginia. He also uh, has uh, served in the military before, so he knows what he's talking about. And his perspective is is based upon that that service to our country. So Secretary Esper, though, today gave comments uh, publicly before meeting with the president privately and distanced himself from the uh, use of military in the, uh, in, in, in this, in the nation's capital. Who do you agree with, the, secre- the defense secretary or the president? And I know the defense secretary, a good yeah, man. I know you do, yeah. Uh, and I think what he is, yep, I do. And, uh, you know, when he said that, it really didn't surprise me. I think Sometimes things come out a little bit sideways. I think, and sorry about the sirens in the background. Don't I apologize about, about that. Um, but I think sometimes things come Nothing sideways. we haven't heard here last. in Washington. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. No. <laughs> it's, our, it's, it's the last thing we want to do is to send in any type of federalized troop action. Right? I mean, nobody wants that to happen, including the president. I think there was frustration because it seemed to me that people were allowed to do illegal things. And I think when you get the briefings and you see what's happening to innocents, there's a lot of frustration. And Secretary Esper was saying was like, listen, we, we shouldn't do this right now. But if there comes a time that we continue to escalate, I think he might change his mind. But I think it's always based on where we're at at that moment. And again, it goes back to analysis, right? Do we do we go out front and have a very aggressive stance so that people stop riding and say we're going to do this? Or do we go and say, hey, we would never do this thing. So go ahead and do what you need to do. And let's let the mayors and governors um, actually settle it. So I think it comes down to how you're looking at the situation at that moment. So yes, I like both individuals. I'm not trying to play both sides here. What I'm trying to say is that at the time what the president was saying might have had an effect because you do see that a lot of that violence is starting to quell right now. And what Esper was saying was we're not going to use it right now. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But again, people are going to politicize it. But I do understand where Esper's coming from. But I think the president coming out aggressive did have something to do with stopping the violence. Congressman Denver Riggleman's on the line. He's a Republican from Virginia. You know, we were talking about this at the start of the show, but I, I want to get your your thoughts on this as an elected member of the House of Representatives. The district in which you represent, uh, as you know, was the last district, I believe, in the country 
to end segregation. Do I have that right? I want to get that distinction very clear. It's definitely where a lot of that's, yes, and it's also where in 1951, Barbara Johns led the walkout, right, and, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Prince Edward County. So there's a lot of history here. So there's a, there, it's a, there's a ton of history there. And the reason I, I bring that up is because your district is also incredibly rural, and the reality of the way in which you're const- – well, I mean, I haven't put words – how are your constituents viewing what's going on in the cities right now and interpreting the president when he invokes comments such as increasing law and order? Because I would guess, as I've been reporting in conversations with members of Congress like yourself, as well as other members who represent uh, city districts, is that it's night and day in how terms of and how people are, are viewing this. Kevin, you're spot on. It is night and day. Um, I'm in Nelson County right now talking to you on 50 acres. Right. So it's completely night and day. Like what's going on there now? There's there's some horrified reactions to what happened to George Floyd. So I'm going to there's horrified reactions and we still have areas here in the 5th District that we need to work on. Right. There's there's still some attitudes here that we have to work on. But when it comes to exactly what's going on in the cities, a lot of this is business as usual. And it's hard to separate. There's a lot of people who haven't seen the news. Right. Where I call them on delegate calls and like, hey, we see what's going on there. I'm glad it's not here. So there's not this sort of visceral reaction you see out here in the 5th District of 10,000 square miles with only 740,000 people dispersed over those 10,000 right. square miles. Now, you have Charlottesville, you have the northern Virginia suburbs in Fauquier County, but even in Fauquier and Charlottesville, peaceful protests. And, again, those are great. You know, you got to protest these heinous actions. I support you 100 percent. It's when it goes to violence. But most of the people out here, it's business as usual. Uh, they're going about their daily lives trying to pick up the pieces after the pandemic. I think that is so incredibly important to political observers in this moment because, you know, the way that people are are processing this in their own uh, way and through their own um, media ecosystems is is very important for the long term heading into November. Um, let me ask you another question. Is there any appetite amongst your Republican colleagues to include any type of reform language uh, to address some of the structural changes uh, re- regarding the killing of George Floyd uh, in legislation? Talking about uh, law enforcement reform, Kevin, things yes. of that nature? Yeah. Yeah. Again, you can't watch this as a, a freedom loving American. And look at what happened to George Floyd, and I think that there's issues. And we know that racism exists, but when you see something that raw and awful, it almost takes me back to when I was in the military to see awful things because I had a true reaction to it. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see people pushing forward say, we need something in law enforcement. And listen, 99.9% of law enforcement are great individuals. I love them. But there has to be something to identify individuals. If somebody has 18 you know, complaints against them and they're still out on the street – there has to be some type of fundamental reform on those that we identify as those that are a danger to the community, and especially those that might have a propensity for racial activity. We have to identify them. We have to improve our education, and we have to be tougher on these individuals. So I'm I hearing, do think yes. you're going to see an appetite for that. Yeah, so yes. yes. So the answer is yes, there is. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so yes or, I mean, qu- yes yes. or no. Yeah, there is amongst your – okay, could that, could that happen in the next six weeks? I mean, could that happen in the next round of economic? But seriously, I, so. I mean, they. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I really do. I'd like to go back in session and, and deal with this. Right? We have Nancy's not allowing us back there till June 30th. I think it's time for us to go to work, 
and I would love to address this. And I think there's a lot of Republicans who say enough of this behavior. This isn't a Republican or Democratic issue. Man, this is a human issue, yep. and it's time for us to address it. So it's a solid yes for me, Kevin. So, you know, I hear that, and, and I, you know, I hear that. Congressman Denver Riggleman, a Republican from uh, Virginia. Uh, in just a minute or so we have left, just a final question for you. Um, there's still a pandemic going on. Economic stimulus, are you hearing that might happen by the end of the month, or, or what? where do we go on that? Got like 30 seconds. I think you're going to – you're talking about another plan. I think yeah. you're going to look at it in July, Kevin. Okay. Yeah, you're going to look at that in July. I think you're going to see some more legislation that comes in July. So pay attention to that. Um, we hope we can get it through, and we hope it's more bipartisan than last legislation. Let's get the adults in the room and do something where both parties can come together. All right. Denver Riggleman, Congressman Denver Riggleman, I appreciate your time, sir, uh, and uh, Thanks, very Kevin. much appreciate your insights tonight. He represents uh, a district in uh, Virginia. He's a Republican. Coming up, more politics, policy, and analysis, geopolitics with David Tafuri, former foreign policy advisor to former President Obama. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. There's just been so much news, so much news uh, over the uh, last couple of days. And again, former President Obama joining in and condemning uh, the the killing of George Floyd. He's giving an address uh, this hour. Uh, former President Bush also calling on there to be some structural changes. We've also seen uh, various companies come forth and pledge donations to uh, social justice groups as well. All of this comes at a time in which the geopolitics from around the world are quickly continuing to evolve. And I want to welcome back to the program a good friend of the program, David Tafuri, uh, who, of course, is a, a former uh, Obama campaign foreign policy advisor. And first, I, I want to get your take on Obama speaking today, David. Uh, it will be or what, what will you be listening for as someone who worked intricately with his his, his campaigns? Well, I think that. President Obama is used to making addresses like this. He was quite good at it when he was president in terms of expressing sympathy for the family of the person killed, expressing sympathy for the protesters who are protesting peacefully but urging calm across the country. That's what I expect he'll do now. It's What's interesting is that, of course, he waited till now to do it. And it's in contrast to President Trump, who hasn't given a speech that has effectively done any of those things that President Trump did when he was president. So you almost feel like President Obama is finally weighing in because he feels like nobody else is doing it. But I'm eager to see what he says. So meanwhile, around the world, there's been some reaction uh, from from U.S. allies. There's been, in many ways, protests of, uh, in solidarity. Uh, but what have you observed for the different reactions from around the world so what's been going on in America? Well, I think that the protest in solidarity in other places around the world is really interesting. I can't remember that ever happening in a police, police brutality incident like this that happened in the U.S. 
But I'm also very interested in the headlines around the world. And I've been perusing some of the headlines from newspapers around the world. And the main theme is that they're very critical of the U.S. for standing for human rights when it comes to other countries, but not addressing the human rights problems here in the U.S. They're very critical for the approach to some of the protesters, uh, especially the approach to the protesters in Lafayette Park that were cleared in order for the president to do his photo op in front of the church. And, of course, it hurts our ability to criticize other countries for their response to protests. The administration has been very strong in criticizing China on its response to protests in Hong Kong. But now this makes us look a little bit hypocritical that we haven't handled it better. So, I mean, it's an uncomfortable conversation, David Sifiori, former Obama campaign foreign policy advisor. So how does the U.S. have that conversation and how does the U.S. continue to stand uh, with the people of Hong, with the protesters uh, of Hong Kong, uh, which has always been a nonpartisan issue in the United States, has always drawn the support of the Europeans, um, and also reconciled that with, as you mentioned, Lafayette Square. One of the things that President Obama said is that we need to lead by example. So I think we need to quickly fix the way we're addressing the protests here in order to show that we're leading by example. We need to make sure it's clear around the world that peaceful protests are okay, that we support peaceful protests, and that they're allowed to go forward in cities all over America for as long as the protesters want. And I think we're getting better at that now. The protests last night, for instance, were much more peaceful than the nights previous. Uh, at the same time, we, of course, have to be able to prevent protesters who are engaging in looting, engaging in crime from doing that, but in a way where we we are able to delineate between those protesters who are peaceful, who are engaging in peaceful demonstrations, and those who are engaging in crimes. And we haven't done that well yet, but we're getting better, and that's how we lead by example. All right. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, there's been some new developments on the U.S. China front, uh, especially as tensions continue to escalate, uh, and uh, there's they've been they've been you know jabbing with rhetoric uh, about the last couple of days. But what other things should people notice that have nothing to do with what's been going on in domestic affairs? Nothing to do with the remarks coming from China officials. But in terms of the actual policies between the U.S. and China, what has been on your radar that has escalated in recent days? Well, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about is the fact that we're due to have a G7 summit. Uh, you know, the G7 summit is supposed to be hosted by the U.S. this time. It's been postponed a few times. That would gather the leaders of the Western world uh, to talk about things like an approach to China and addressing uh, China's failed reaction to COVID-19 and failure to inform the world about COVID-19. I'm interested in when that's going to happen. It looks like right now President Trump is talking about trying to host it in September, maybe around the time of the U.N. General Assembly. But it's a big question as to whether it can really be hosted in person or it will be done remotely. Also, what's very interesting is President Trump has talked about wanting to invite Russia to come to the G7. Remember, Russia was banned for the, from the G7 by President Obama in 2014 after they invaded Crimea. Of course, Russia would like to be there, but why are we thinking about inviting them? And doesn't that make it harder for us to have a conversation with our close allies about how to deal with China? And do we know the timetable on when that summit would be? 
I think it's going to – the latest news suggests it might happen in September, but it's not been set yet. So remember that. I mean, so so what we could happen in September is Vladimir Putin and President Trump meeting together at the White House. That could potentially happen. That's not a far-fetched yeah. idea. Yeah, at the White House or maybe Mar-a-Lago, somewhere where President somewhere. Trump choose, chooses yeah. to host it. Which we all – yeah, that will be two months before – the, the, the election. Let me ask you about this because uh, this popped up on my radar today. David Sifiori, who's our foreign policy go-to guru on Bloomberg Radio Sound On. The Trump administration, reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, the Trump administration issued an order suspending passenger flights from China-based airlines, saying it was retaliation for Beijing, barring American carriers from re-entering that market in a continued escalation of tensions between the two nations. It's set to go into effect June 16th, but the president can move that up sooner. So you can't fly I mean, so what does this mean for the airline industries? Because that's a pretty big deal that the U.S. and China are, are barring flights. That is a big deal. If if China has, in fact, barred our flights and American carriers from going to China, I think it's appropriate for us to respond with a similar ban on flights from you know Chinese airlines. It would still ostensibly be possible to travel to China from the U.S. if you went on a European carrier or another Asian carrier, for instance. But this is just evidence of sort of a ratcheting up of tensions between the U.S. and China. There are many issues that remain unresolved, most particularly the U.S. and President Trump are blaming China for not informing the world about COVID-19. And I think they want something from China to demonstrate that won't happen again and that China is addressing its internal problems that caused that to happen. All right. David Sifiori, uh, always, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I appreciate your time breaking down all the geopolitical headlines for us because there's been so much happening domestically, but we got to remember that there's still a big world out there and we got to stay on top of that, those developments as well. Stay safe, my friend. David Tafiori, he, of course, is a, a former Obama campaign foreign policy advisor. And coming up later on in the week, we're going to continue to follow this with fresh reaction from Republicans on Capitol Hill, or I guess not technically on Capitol Hill, but who work on Capitol Hill. Uh, as we continue to have this conversation about what this particular moment is going to do and the impacts it's going to have, not just on the economy, not just on elections, but on our communities uh, all throughout the country. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes or Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Business app. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Plus.